We're grateful that you're here today. Every Sunday that somebody walks in this door and wants to hear about Jesus, we're excited because that's a call that God has given us. It's Labor Day weekend. Tomorrow there's going to be a lot of barbecues and things happening. And it's a great weekend for us to think about all the labor that's taken this country to get here, but also the labor that we are to do with Jesus Christ. God has called us to be on Labor Day every day, and that's what he wants us to do to serve him. We are his hands and feet. We are his vessels into this world. So hopefully you will get out and rise up and start doing these big and wonderful things that God has called you. Like my buddy Dustin was saying, he basically came from driving once a week to two years later quitting his job and saying, I'll do whatever I can at the church for basically no money. We barely pay him. That's true. Ask his wife. Um, but he's willing to give it all up for the glory of God. And that's what restoration looks like. When we get out and start doing things, we start to be restored. And today we complete the three uh, part series called restoration. And if you weren't here the first week, let me paint you a picture. We got car parts up here. There's a door and uh, my dad's car fell apart and we put them all together. But the first week my dad had this VW bug and it still had great value, but it needed a lot of work. We had to push it to get it here. But today, on the final part, you have two fully restored, a Nova, what year is that? 63, everybody's saying 62. There's a 63 Nova that's beautiful and restored. There's a Corvette out there that's everybody's dream car that we want to drive. And these are restoration vehicles. That's what restoration looks like. But here's the thing. The restoration that we have in Jesus is this. He wants to restore you, but he wants to have usable restoration. Both cars drove in. They weren't brought in by a big rig and dropped off. They're usable restoration. He wants you to get in and drive it every day and be restored and share that love and glory with other people. And that's what we see out here, that picture of restoration, but usable restoration. Our country needs restoration. Our our, our Gulf Coast needs even more restoration. Our communities, our cities, our schools, and we have to do it ourselves. It's up to us. And that's why we're doing this series called Restoration. You know, I've had a bunch of emails this week and texts from other people about what's going on. And last Sunday, probably the brunt of the hurricane on Saturday and Sunday was so powerful and it was so numbing to see what's happening to fellow Americans that our church decided to give every penny of last week's offering to the hurricane victims. And it's because of you and your texts and calls wanting to be, be a part of this that we just said whatever was brought in on Sunday, we're going to take our whatever income we give and give it away. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to send a team of four or six or eight people into the Houston area. We're trying to find a church, and we're going to do a missions trip and dig people out. I was part of a church many years ago that when Hurricane Katrina happened, we did the same thing. So if you're interested or you want to donate to that, we're going to try and find some able people that want to go in into Houston, into that area, and dig some people out. We're going to connect with the church. It should be pretty powerful. And I'm grateful that you guys are here because this is our mission. It says, love the world one person at a time, and sometimes we need to go into a different state and do that, and we're going to do that. So thank you guys all for giving. It gives us the ability to give that away and really help lead the charge to bring in restoration in that community. Amen? Amen. 
So we're going through this series for three weeks. It was at the end of the summer, and we were trying to figure out what does restoration look like? Do you as Christians, or maybe you don't believe, but you're here because you were forced to come, do you know what restoration looks like? That was the first week. Do you really know? Because I would say a lot of us don't know what it looks like. And so here's kind of the, the way that we've gone through it. Trust in God is the first part of restoration. You've got to get honest and realize that God is all-powerful and I don't have any control. That was week one. And you can go back onto the website and hear it. It was a really powerful sermon. Now, I did it, but it doesn't mean it's because I did it. It was powerful. It just really was a powerful uh, 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 communication about how to learn to trust in God. Week two, we talked about working on ourselves. If you want to be restored, at some point you have to strip down your being and you've got to come before God and start working on yourself to put things back together. And we talked about being humble in the Philippians 2, 3, 4 rule about being humble and treating others better than yourself and thinking about other people and really taking an inventory of what's good and bad in your life. And today we do the final completion of that, which is really about helping another person. If you really want to be restored, one of the things that you need to do is start serving others at home, at work, in your neighborhood, in church, at the soccer team or the dance team or whatever team you're a part of. That's how we get healed and become restored. Dustin was a prime example. He started to serve, and the more he served, the more he got called out of the seats and into ministry, just like myself, just like Jeremy and many people that are in this church, called out of the seats to serve and do great things for God. Now listen, I got this anonymous quote. I don't know who wrote it. I wish I did because I really love it. But here's the quote of the day. It said, God didn't give you another day because you need it. He gave you another day because someone out there needs you. A lot of times we wake up and go, thank God I got another day. And I'm going to live life to the fullest. I'm going to live this YOLO, you only live once acronym. But the truth is, you're supposed to say, God gave me another day because there's somebody in this world that needs you and wants you to go out into this world and communicate and love them. There's somebody that needs a text or a phone call or a visit to truly feel the love of God. Who is that in your life? Who is that in this church? Who's that coming to second service or who's in this community that you need to love and, and reach out to them? Because God gave you another day, not for your own benefit, but for his benefit. You know, we uh, emailed a bunch of you and we're going to start setting up meeting appointments. Last week, we talked about working on yourself and a bunch of people said we want to we want to meet. And if you get a chance to sit down and talk to me, I have this discipleship plan. Here's the way that I communicate, and it works really well with uh, the recovery process or the restoration process. My discipleship plan is pretty simple. It's three words. First, you believe, then you follow, and then you disciple. That's really what my, or my discipleship plan, but it also works, if you leave that screen up, it also works to uh, restoration. Trust in God, believe. Work on yourself is to start to follow Jesus and his precepts and his commands and his laws and his words and then help another person or disciple, grab somebody and walk with them. Discipleship and restoration is, are, is, is the same process and that's what I'm trying to communicate here is that you see that discipleship and restoration can go hand in hand, especially at this church. Now I wanna tell you a couple of stories. Several years ago, I had two people come to my office, and one lady 
was depressed for six years, and she hadn't come out of her house in six months. And I happened to call her that week and just to see how she was doing. And she didn't answer, but I left a voicemail, and she called back and said, I'd like to come and see you. So she came to my office, and she says, I'm severely depressed. The medication's not working. Nothing's working in my life. I've tried everything, different doses, different doctors, and nothing was working. And so simple me, I don't know anything. I'm like, when's the last time you've served another person? And she goes, gosh, it's been a long time. I can't even remember. And she goes, well, is there something I can do this week at the church? And I said, well, on Fridays, there's a group of people that at my old church used to fold bulletins. That's really a fun group. So she goes, yeah, I'll come. And that group happens to be the place where I worked all my jokes out. So you guys are really the benefit of that. I would go in and talk to them and tell them. But this lady went in and just, just folded a few bulletins with, this pe- with these people for about an hour and a half. And she came to church on Sunday that week and said, that's the best I've felt in six years. And she goes, my depression came back later that afternoon. But she goes, I realize that I've got to get out and do something because that makes me whole. When we help other people, it really helps us become whole and see what we're supposed to do. And later and later, about two or three years later, she was serving two or three times a week. Still depressed, but having a life outside of depression because depression doesn't always leave. You have to work at it with God. Here's another lady, uh, uh, another lady that I know, a dear friend of mine today, because we went through a lot. She came to my office and she was suicidal. She says, I'm not going to make it through the weekend. And so we communicated and I kind of had the same conversation. Have you served? And she goes, I'm not able to communicate with other people. But she says, do you have something that you need in your ministry? I'm an office manager at a big company. I'll help you. And so she started serving me. And next thing you know, she started sewing up to all the ministries that I was a part of. And today, she's thriving and living a life far greater. I get texts and emails because she's moved. But she's so impacted by serving that it's changed her life. And now she's got a completely different life than she had seven or eight years ago. When we help another person, it's the cure-all remedy for where we're at in our life. Restoration starts with helping other people. And that's what Christ wants in our life. We need to be a church. We need to be a a, a society. We need to be a country that's about helping other people. And when we get out and when we focus on that and get away from all the politics and everything else, we become how this country was built. Hard work and loving people. Today, I want to look at Peter as an example Peter is a great example on how he was restored. And I'm going to use an awkward story to kind of show you how Peter was restored and became, became one of the great servants of all time in the church. But before we do that, we do a memory verse every week. And our memory verse is 1 Peter 5, verse 10. But I want to read all of the text around that from 6 to 10 so that you can see Peter as he's closing out this letter in 1 Peter. He's talking about what he has learned and how he wants the church to be restored and grow. And here's what it says, 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. The first part, Peter's saying to the church, humble yourself. Cast all all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Humble yourself and say, all the stuff that I'm dealing with, cast it aside and put it in the lap of Christ. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking to devour. Your enemy is in the parking lot. 
waiting for you, devouring you, wants to take over your life. But you need to stand up, Peter's telling us. He says, resist, stand firm in faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Do you realize that we're all trying this restoration process? We're all in this restoration process together? We're all suffering. All of us have our own issues. Some seem very big, but we all are suffering. And Peter says, we are all going through some kind of suffering. It might not be the exact same, but it is a level of suffering. And then he says, and this is our memory verse, and then the grace of God who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after, a, after you have suffered a while will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, steadfast. To him be the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. Here at the end of Peter's first epistle, a general letter going out to the church, he gives us a path of what he wants the church to do. Humble, be alert, cast out all anxiety, resist the devil, stand firm and realize that our community, our society, our world is struggling. In Christ, after you've suffered a little while, he wants to restore you. If you're here today and you've been suffering, you're in the right place if you're willing to hear what God has. And I promise you, today, there's going to be a bunch of powerful stuff. We're going to do communion, we've got a song, and we've got some special things that are going to happen to get your heart right so that you can get connected and want this restoration process. Now, Peter is a great example of someone whose life was restored. If you go back through and think about how Peter was transformed, the first thing that he did was when Jesus called him in Mark chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, he called him and said, come and follow me and I'll teach you how to be a fisher of men. In that moment, Peter believed. He trusted in God and he says, I'm going to walk away from my job and I'm going to believe in what Jesus has, even though he didn't really know him. Now, Peter was one of the first disciples. His brother Andrew brought him, but he became one of the first disciples. He was the spokesperson for the 12. He was the one that was the mouthpiece and was always communicating for what the 12 wanted to be. He was also someone that did great things for the, the glory of God, and he was the first one out of the 12 to confess that Jesus was the Lord and Savior and that he was the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for. Peter was a strong man, but here's the deal. He wasn't perfect. Even after he was completely restored, he made many mistakes. Just because you start to be whole and real and restored doesn't mean that you're perfect. Doesn't mean that you're never going to have any problems. Too many times today in Christianity we think, believe and trust and all your worries will go away and I'll never struggle again. No hangnail problems, no big problems. I'm just going to live a life of glory and luxury. That's an old leisure village commercial. That's not Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around sea people. They call them salty dogs. But Peter was a salty dog in the Sea of Galilee. He was a salty dog, which means he was brash. He was rash. He was probably a foul-mouthed sailor. Because those guys on the sea, if you've ever been around them, weren't always the nicest people. They still aren't. You ever go to the Channel Islands and see these big houses and big boats, and then you see somebody, and he's chewing a big chaw, and he's talking about stuff you don't want to know. And Peter was one of those guys. He was brash. He was rash. Let me show you some of the brash, rash things that he did. There was a moment where Jesus was walking on water, and Peter says, hey, if that's you, Lord, call me. I'll walk. I don't care. I'll get out there and walk. That's one of the brash, rash things that he did. Here's another thing that he did. 
When a couple weeks ago, we talked about the transfiguration. When, G, when Peter was on the transfiguration, he's like, let's build an altar to Moses and Elijah and to Jesus. This is awesome. And Jesus says, no, you don't need to do that. Another time, he came in and he rebuked Jesus for talking about his death. He says, Jesus, you're never going to die. We're not going to let you die. I'm going to be there. And he rebuked Jesus. And Jesus basically cursed at him and says, get behind me, Satan. And finally, when Jesus is, is getting arrested, and that's where our story is going to go in Peter, uh, he cuts the ear off. He breaks out his sword and cuts the ear off and fights for Jesus because he's like, you're not going to take him. G uh, Peter is a rash, brash man. And today I want to use this story to talk about restoration. It's a really weird story. It's about when the rooster crows and Jesus denies, and, and Peter denies Jesus. Now, in Luke chapter 22 is where the story is, and it's just about uh, they're at the Lord's Supper. And they begin to argue about who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus says, listen, those that are going to be the greatest are going to be the last. They're going to be the servants. If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, the kingdom that I'm talking about, you've got to be a servant and you've got to be last and serve the world. And then Jesus says this to Peter. And it's really interesting. He's basically saying, Peter, the devil's trying to sift all of you and, and break you down. But here's what Peter says in Luke chapter 22, verse, uh, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pled in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. And when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. And then Peter, after hearing this from Jesus, is bold and brash again. He's like, Lord, what are you talking about? Satan's not going to get me. He says, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even die for you. So Peter's sitting here, and now he's saying, Lord, this is not going to happen. Satan's never going to take me off my game, and I'm going to protect you. And that gets us to our story about Peter disowning Jesus. So if you're able to stand, let's stand and read from the word of God. After Satan, had, uh, after Peter has communicated this, Jesus goes on Mount Olive and prays, and then he is betrayed by Judas, and then we take the story up in Luke 22, verse 54. So they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the country yard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus's followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted this must be one, he must be one of them because he's Galatian too or Galilean too. Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. And before the rooster crows again tomorrow, you will deny me three times that you, you will deny me three times that you know me. And Peter left the courtyard and bitter and Weeped bitterly. This reminds me of my buddy Eric over here. You don't know what you're talking about. On that Good Friday service. Here's the thing. 
We're going to pray right now that God will use this verse to help us understand restoration and how and why we should help other people. Let's just bow our heads. Let's just ask God to speak and watch him do miracles in the midst of us right now. Father, we come before you and we listen to this weird story about a man who's denied Jesus. But we ask that you will build us up in this story, that we will see ourselves in this story, and that you will put us in that restoration process, and we will see you do great things inside of our heart. Father, we open up everything that we are to you right now and ask that you reveal yourself, that you grow our salvation, and that you renew our minds and transform us in your image. We love you, Lord. We love you dearly. In the name above all names, Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. So if you're like me, I'm kind of um, not the smartest cookie in the basket about the Bible. And what I mean by that is all I do is read the Bible. I don't read a lot of extracurricular books. I do read a little bit. But really, I read the Bible. And the first thing as I'm thinking about this is, why is this story even in the Bible? If you think about it, all the Gospels have the same story about the rooster crowed. And as soon as the rooster crowed, Peter remembered and he wept bitterly. They all agree. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all agree at this story. So something weird is going on. But why is this even in the Bible? And what is the purpose of it? Why are they telling this story about Peter? Well, listen, I'll tell you why. Peter must have preached on this over and over I was the guy, I'm the knucklehead that was up there next to Jesus and I was denying him three times. He was on a Sunday service preaching amongst thousands saying, that's me, the guy they're talking about. I'm the guy that denied Jesus. I'm the one when the rooster crowed. He must have preached this over and over because all the gospels have the same story. And Peter must have told them, this is important. This is how I was restored. I got up and regularly told people that I denied Jesus and he still didn't let me down. He still didn't let me go. He restored me, he reinstated me, and he brought me back so that I can be one of the greatest servants of all time. I can be a great leader in the church. This story in the Bible was to shape Peter. This was his mantra. This is what he stood up on a Sunday and said, this is what I did. Whatever you've done, you haven't done any worse than I did. I denied my Savior. And then he saw me, and we had eye contact, and then my life changed. So here's what happens in this story. First, we see the rooster crow, and Peter's life is changed forever. He was changed when Jesus called him, but now he's going to be even more transformed because this moment in time, his life is about to collapse, but then be fully restored. The rooster crows, and Peter remembers all that was said and his life starts to transform before his eyes. He was a brash, rash guy. He was a servant of the Most High God. But he never did great things like he's going to do in a few weeks after Jesus ascends. So the rooster crows. And then the Bible says in verse 61, it says there's a moment where the Lord turned and looked at Peter's eyes. There's a moment where all of a sudden after Peter denies three times and the rooster crows, somehow, some way, there's this communication between a guy that denied the Lord and the Lord. And here's what that look looked like. It was a convicting look. It was a convicting look saying, you just said you don't know me, Peter? 
Don't you remember what you just said a couple of minutes ago or a couple hours ago that you're going to die with me or willing to go to prison with me and now you're saying you don't even know me? Gosh, that's convicting. How many of us have done that in our life? Been in a conversation at the grocery store or at, at school or at work or something and someone talks about Jesus and defames your Savior and you just kind of shuffle it down and go, that's eh, not me. I'm not going to bring up the Jesus word. It's too insulting. We do that and we get convicted. That's what Peter did. It was a compassionate look. Jesus looks at him and he's like, are you that weak that I've been away from you a couple hours and now you're denying me? Are you so weak that you can't really stay strong apart from me? It was also a commissioning look. A look that he said, Peter, weep. Weep for me right now. Remember my words and then go out and strengthen my brothers and sisters. Be the great leader of the church. Be this man that stands up and leads us into the next 2,000 years where the gospel is still moving and it's because of Peter and what he did at the cross. The words of Jesus transformed this guy's life. Jesus had told him many words and led him and discipled him in many ways. But these words were radical in his heart and they were simple words. You'd think that if I wanted my life to be changed, it'd be different from a rooster crowing. But for Peter, this was everything. These words from Jesus brought back where he was supposed to be, and he remembered everything. That's why the Bible says the word is alive. When you let the word become part of who you are, and you allow yourself to be restored and start helping other people, the word will come into your life, and you will start to hear the word, and you will start to deny yourself and live out the glory of God. So we've got the rooster crow, Jesus looking, the word of Jesus coming back, and finally Peter's tears. Now we're in this place where Peter is weeping bitterly. The, the Greek here is talking about this broken down, repentant man that's now heard the words of Jesus in his head. He's just now denied him, and it's changed his life forever. This is a sign of repentance this is a sign of Peter saying, how far have I fallen? I've been separated from my Savior for less than 12 hours, and now that I've made a mockery out of my life, and I've denied my Lord and Savior, and he even heard me and saw me do it. Man, my life is hit rock bottom. How far have I gone? Did I hurt my Lord by denying him? Now, if you guys know your Bible story... There's two people of the 12 that are in the same place. Peter is weeping bitterly because he's denied the Lord. Judas is also weeping bitterly because he sold the Lord for 30 shekels. I was going to say 30 pesos, but it didn't sound as good. <laughs> I must be thinking tacos. Tacos, pesos. 30 shekels. But listen, the bitter weeping that happens in Judas's heart leads him to suicide. The bitter weeping of Peter shapes him and molds him to become one of the greatest servants of all time. Helping other people, helping thousands of people. The difference is a, a bitter heart of repentance or a bitter heart of, of selfish indulgence that leads to I have nowhere else to go. When we come before God and we are bitter, or when we are uh, weeping bitterly, asking for God to work in us, that's when he starts to restore 
That's when we start to grow. No, no matter how long you've been a Christian, you can come before the Lord today and weep bitterly and watch him start to restore you to whole, complete, workable, usable vessel for God. Now, due to lack of time, there's a bunch of scripture should I should read, but here's the thing. I'm going to paraphrase this. One of my favorite places in Israel, we're going to Israel in February 2018. I've got seven people signed, four people that are wanting to go, but there's play, this church called uh, the, the Church of Peter Primacy, and it's in this place called Tabga. And this is actually the shore where Peter was reinstated. This little, this little chapel is a beautiful place. And out there on the sea, Jesus sees the uh, disciples out there fishing. And he calls them in. He makes a meal. And then after the meal, he reinstates Peter right here where this chapel is. It's a powerful place for me. Every time I get there, I just weep for God's glory. It's such a beautiful place. But here's what happens. After Jesus has made a meal, he looks at Peter. Peter is still broken because he's denied the Lord. And he basically looked at him and said, I don't know that man. But Jesus knows, like, he needs more. He needs to be reinstated. And so here's what he says. Peter, do you love me? And that word love is this godly love, this deep love that only can come from God. And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And you can tell he's broken. And he's not even responding with the same Greek love. He's responding with a different love. And he says, then take care of my lambs. And then he goes, Peter, do you love me? Lord, yes, you know it. I'm, I'm, I'm so broken. You know that I love you. And he says, then feed my sheep. And finally, once again, he says, Peter, do you really love me? And he says, Lord, why are you doing this to me? You know that I've made a mistake and that I denied you. You know that my heart's broken. The Bible says that he was grieving at this point. Why are you questioning me, Lord? And he says, then take care of my sheep feed my sheep. And he reinstates him and says, listen, this is what the devil tried to do is knock you off of your game so that you wouldn't want to help and you wouldn't want to serve, but I'm reinstating you so that you can help other people into the throne room of Christ, into the glory of God, into the Father's arms through Jesus Christ. He restores him and makes him the father of many believers. He's the foundation of the church. He's the start. He was the lead pastor of Jerusalem until Jesus' brother rose up. Peter is what Christianity was founded on, and it was because he was bold and wanted to go out and preach the gospel. After he was reinstated and Jesus ascends, he gets on this high horse and starts boldly preaching about who Jesus was and how you Pharisees put him on the cross, and we as individuals put him on the cross so that we can have life everlasting. And he was celebrating the boldness through the Holy Spirit about who Christ is. He defeated death. Peter is leading the church and leading the charge. And one of my favorite things that Peter did, and we don't ever talk about the, at this church or at church generally. Peter was the one that watched the Holy Spirit come upon the Jews, the Samaritans, and the Gentiles. That's who Peter was. He was the one watching the church grow through the Holy Spirit. And that's how Peter became empowered. Today, I want the Holy Spirit to take over this room, to take over our hearts and serve in a way that transforms this world. If you don't want to serve at church, please don't feel obligated. Serve at home. 
Some of you need to serve at home desperately to get your marriage right or your family back to normal. But that's what you're supposed to do. Martin Luther King Jr. says this, and it's probably one of my favorite verses. It says, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subjects and verbs agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. Peter wasn't that guy. He wasn't the Apostle Paul with this great education that was going to be one of the great Pharisees in the Jewish religion. He was a sailor. He was a knucklehead. He's the one that denied Jesus and the crow uh, uh, and the rooster crowed, and he preached about it regularly. I'm the guy. What an idiot I am. But God still loves me, and I still serve him because he transformed me, he restored me, and he made me a better man because of that. Even in our lowest moments with God, he can bring us up. He can restore us. You can have that rooster crow moment and let the words of Christ come back and transform you and change you for his glory. Peter lived the life of a full servant, a complete man, imperfect, but taking the call to serve man, to serve woman, to serve the church, to grow people. One of his messages said that he started to preach and about 3,000 people came. And then they got baptized. The next day he preached and more people came. Thousands and thousands of people came because of the boldness of Peter. He's willing to get out of himself and think about other people. Helping other people is the cure-all to your life. Even if you're not in the restoration process, you're still at the beginning. If you start helping, watch your life be transformed. Now Peter says this. Right before the memory verse in 1 Peter 4, and it's about serving, he says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Peter's now coming to this place. I've received so much. I'm a, I'm a servant of the Most High God, and I've received so much. And he's like, listen, God has given all of us gifts, and we're to use them, and we're to go out into this world and make Jesus' life a, a, a vessel for restoration. He says, use them well to serve one another. Do you have a gift of speaking? Then speak as God himself is speaking through you. Do you have a gift of helping others? Do it with the strength and the energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All the glory, power, and honor in him forever. Peter realized his life was about serving. Just like my buddy Dustin and Jeremy and Jeff Foss... People that served usually were called out of the pews, called out of the seats to rise up. And God wants to call you into a deeper place. Where are you at in the restoration process? It's been a three-week series, but we don't want to end now. We want it just to begin. We want to open up our hearts to be fully restored. Let me go through the process again so that you can measure yourself. And I want you to, re- I want you to go, am I one, am I two, or am I three? The first part, it says, trust in God. The first part of the restoration process is to trust in God. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You on your own will fall short of trusting in God. Your own understanding, you will deny Jesus at the moment that you need to put him in your heart. Trust in God and in your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. If you're struggling 
that's where you need to go. You need to start trusting God, practicing that I'm trusting him today. You have faith in God. The output of faith is trust. If that's where you're at, that's where the beginning of restoration starts. The second part is working on yourself. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. It's talking about humbling yourself, taking a moral inventory of where you're at and what you're good at and what you're bad at, but really thinking about other people. Don't be selfish and try and impress, other, impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourself. Don't look out for your own interests, but make others, but make it take an interest in others too. We as individuals have to start thinking of other people. It's great to think about your family. But in the Bible, it says even criminals and murderers do that. But when we get out of ourselves and start working on ourselves, we start reaching other people in church and saying, would you like to have coffee? Would you like to go out to lunch? I got a great spot in the toppers line. You can come and join me. The last part is my favorite. This is how my ministry started, is helping other people. I was at a church. My first job was a janitor. And all I did was sweep and paint and clean and take trash out. And then they gave me a chance on a Sunday to speak in front of the junior high. Poor kids. But really, this is what the Bible tells us to do. It says, carry each other's burden. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Listen, the end of restoration is about helping other people. Last week, we challenged you. Are you just going to sit on your laurels and retire as a Christian? Or are you going to fulfill the law of Christ and stand up and say, I'm willing to do something for the glory of God? Today, the challenge is find someone to serve. As we bow our heads in a few minutes, I want you to think of someone that you need to help, you need to text, you need to call, or you need to go and visit. Because they're waiting for you. They need you. They want you to be a part of their life. Let's bow our heads. Father, we come before you broken. Father, we come before you needing complete restoration. Even though we've been Christians for years, I need to be restored. Hear that cry, Lord, and start to transform them. Lord, tell them where they're at. Trusting in God? Are they working on themselves? Or they need to help other people? Lord, I ask that you speak that right now to this congregation. And Lord, as we close today, I want you just to open up our hearts, open up our minds for all that you can do and how you can restore us. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus and needs to just believe in him for the first time, they could say a prayer of salvation and invite him into, his, into your heart and watch God do great and amazing things like he did in Peter. If that's you today, repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart, come into my soul, and be my Lord and Savior. The Bible says you died and rose again for me, and I believe that right now. Allow your Holy Spirit to come over my life and teach me how to walk in your ways for this day forward. We love you and we praise you, Lord, and I ask that you start to move right now 
ask right now, Father, that the Spirit is moving. And over the next few minutes, Lord, we will celebrate and we will offer our hearts for the glory of Jesus Christ. The name above all names. <laughs>